fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. The constitutional point of view was critical for Jefferson's support of the Bill of Rights. It's Saturday. Welcome to the Hayden Collins Radio Program, the Intelligence Syndicate. <laughs> crime and punishment today. That's that's what we're going to have some fun with. Crime and punishment. And uh, not necessarily high crimes. You know. What was the old show? High crimes and misdemeanors or something? like. I don't know. So, let's have some fun with college applications. I have a young audience. Demographics show that my listening audience, strangely enough, is between the ages of 17 and 35. That's my largest listening audience. My second largest listening audience is 35 to 45, and nobody listens to me over the age of 45. It's less than 3%. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's fine. I don't want to listen to them either. All right, so let's play the game here. You want to go to college or you want to go to a university and you have to fill out the application. And filling out the application, you have to put down your race, ethnicity, you know, ethnicity. My English language today is awful. Nonetheless, you have to put down what your race is. Now, in this game, you're broke. You don't have any money in comparison. Of course, you're going to college, so you are broke immediately because you're going to college. Because you're investing in your future, yada, yada, yada. We all know the game. So now comes the moral question that is put before you. Noticed a trend lately. Because of the Equal Opportunity Act because of other acts that were passed, certain race groups received what they called privileges to level the playing field. (laughs) They wanted to level the playing field. And all of a sudden now, we're discovering that the playing field wasn't so level after all. In walks you. You look at that little box at the bottom of the application, and it says Asian, and you get a 3% increase. It says black male, you get a 5% increase. It says black female, you get a 25% increase. It says American Indian, you get a 50% increase. And I'm making these numbers up, but this is on the college application. So, knowing that these guys are not going to come back and check anything, 
<laughs> it's not like they're going to run out there and run a DNA test to verify you're an American Indian or you're black or, or you're a female. <laughs> you put down, hey, I get more money if I check this box. I'll have a better chance of surviving in college. I might even get grants. I might even get whatever. So you lie on your college application. There goes the morals right out the window. And you put yourself in a position to receive money, grants, scholarships, so on and so forth, so you can go to school, let's say for the sake of discussion, for the 50-pointer, as an American Indian. Now let's flip the coin. Somewhere out there, a young American Indian wants to go to college. And they fill out the form and the application, but they didn't get the form and application in it as fast as you did. So all of the directed monies that would have gone to the real American Indian went to you. So effectively, you discriminated against and took the privileges of that were set aside by a government program of an individual who not only wanted to go to school, but actually fit the criteria to go to that school. But there's no more money left because you know, you took it. Hmm. Now let's fast forward 20, 30 years in life. And all of a sudden, now your college, college applications are coming back and they say, boy, you aren't American Indian. What the hell did you do here? You, you, you aren't, you know, an Eskimo. What, 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 what did you do here? Oh, well, I, I didn't have any money for college, so if I knew if I checked that box, I could, I could get more money and, and I could go to school. But look, I'm really successful now, so it doesn't matter, right? Think about this <laughs> from a partisan point of view, a political partisan point of view. It is party dependent. That's why I hate this. It is party dependent on whether or not those morals are applied. Kind of makes you wonder why Obama's records are sealed. <laughs> Did he put himself down as a black female? <laughs> but why, why seal them? Why not show the truth? You know, so all these records, you, know, you guys have obviously figured out we're playing the Elizabeth Warren game. <clears throat> and it's a heck of a game. You get to roll the dice. Uh, you make lots of money. You, you, you put yourself in a position to where you can make lots of money by holding a position, not necessarily doing what you want to do, but holding the position. And you get to claim any ethnicity you want as long as you keep claiming something. Now, the downside of this Elizabeth Warren game is she didn't get her record sealed as fast as President Obama did. And if she would have got her record sealed, then everybody would say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. That never happened, this, that, and the other. But they're all coming out, and all the documents are coming out. And everybody's looking at it going, oh, gee, many crickets, look at that. So let's, let's address something here. This whole gambit of leveling the playing field and saying that you need X amount of people with X amount of races to receive government funding for your college or university has brought us to this level. Now, a few years back, 
it was in Michigan, the major university in Michigan said, we are no longer going to use the point system based on race to allow people to get into college. What? You're, you're not going to use the government system to bring students into college? And their response was no, and here's the study why, and blah, blah, blah. Now, but basically, and in a long study, by the way, but basically the study revealed that everybody was playing the Elizabeth Warren game. A lot of people were. I didn't, I said everybody, I'm generalizing. They were playing the Elizabeth Warren game and getting away with it. But the flip side of the coin was universities had to meet quota systems in order to maintain funding and receive federal funding to maintain that quota system. So if they didn't have enough Eskimos in that university to maintain the quota system, uh, applications were either lied about or they went to Alaska and recruited Eskimos and brought them to the university. I'm using that as a bad example. Pick another minority, it doesn't matter. And they were also held accountable for how many minorities they graduated. You have to graduate X amount of minorities. Doesn't matter if they know what they're doing or not. Doesn't matter, you know, if they grasp the material or not. You lose your federal funding if you don't graduate X amount of minorities. <laughs> that undermines the student that went to school to actually get an education and it undermines the programs that are there. Think about it. If you had the physicist that graduated school as a minority, would you trust that individual and the knowledge that individual had? Even though they may have worked hard for it and did really well, they could be the person that didn't work hard for it all, but the university had to push them out as a graduate so they could maintain their federal funding. It undermined the program. So the, the Michigan University said, no, nah, we're not doing that anymore. We're, we're going to try a program that, that is tried and true and worked before. We're going to take the most qualified. We don't care about their race. We're just going to take the most qualified. So, so now wait a second here. You mean to tell me that if the most qualified individuals are all American Indians, your university is going to be overrun with American Indians? Yes, we don't have a quota system. We're not out to meet a quota system. We are just going to select the individuals most qualified to do the job. <gasps> oh dear God. You mean to tell me that since 1979 and all the quota systems we've had in the educational system from K through 12, and parents know this, students were passed through, they didn't want them to be passed through, but they were passed through. Whole high schools in New York area and other areas are graduating students that can't even read, but they got pushed through the system, and they come out with a degree equal to the very same one that you left with that you worked very hard for to achieve what you achieved. Oh dear God. Now the trend is changing going, that was a mistake. It didn't level the playing field. It may have for some. It may have for some. In fact, I would go out on a limb and say may have for a majority. Okay? But what it did, it created a false level of education and mistrust and distrust 
from individuals who are following these individuals and the individuals following the programs. Now the recognition of the failure of the programs, even though it's based on funding, and keep that in mind, it is based on funding, you have to look back and see how many colleges and universities closed their doors because the federal government did not hold the students accountable they held the college and these universities accountable. They said, you falsified your documents for federal funding. And the universities go, no, we didn't. We took them from the students. And the federal government said, yeah, but when you sent them in, you're, you're validating that all this information in these documents are correct. Yeah, the students signed on the bottom saying they were correct. And uh, they would get kicked out of all their federal funding. And of course, nobody would give them any money. And then the university would close. So even the federal government has gotten to the point to where, okay, you guys are screwing up. You're not checking your own stuff. It was an honor system. You're doing dishonorable things to receive the federal funding. Wow, what a long time coming. What, 50 years, 60 years? I think the most interesting interview I seen was this young lady that graduated Harvard and she was being interviewed, uh, I wanna say in Philadelphia. And the guy interviewing her is uh, a younger conservative black guy. I can't remember his name. Pretty sharp. Got his act together. Actually has a pretty decent show, to tell you the truth. Uh, I watched him three or four times. But he's interviewing her, and she, she's a minority graduate from Harvard. And in the interview process, she's talking about all the things that she can do and the job she holds and this, that, and the other. And he says, do you think you would be where you're at without affirmative action? And she goes, no. Not at all. I need affirmative action, otherwise I wouldn't be here. He says, well, okay, then why couldn't you do this on your own? And she said, well, I couldn't have done this on my own. And then he stopped for a moment, and she's kind of looking at him, he's looking at her, and he goes, and this is the reason why the system is failing. And he went through this whole process, and I'm going, oh my gosh, the guy's a genius. He understands what the state of Michigan took a while to understand. And I hate to say it, but the state of Michigan is kind of leading the way on this. Other universities and colleges are getting away from that program, but they're also getting away from uh, the federal funding requirements. Because what they're discovering is the federal government will shut them down if the student lies. So they've even gone through some of the verification process to stop the, the Elizabeth Warren game. And the Elizabeth Warren game, I'm drinking my coffee today, by the way. The Elizabeth Warren game is... Uh, it's a fun game, but, you know, and if you've never run for public office, you'll never get caught and it doesn't matter. But you don't know the future, so as you're filling out your application, you better be careful what you're putting down because you don't know what's going to happen. So now, you know, any aspects, you know, in her district, she'll probably remain a senator for the rest of her life, just like we got these people dying in office. You know, the, the, the only lifetime office is the Supreme Court, but theoretically, there's no term limits on individuals who are in Congress, and they can just go and go and go because the two-party political system is set up for the incumbent to win 98% of the time. That, that's the way it's set up. So even before you run for office, you know you only got a 2 to 5% chance of winning, regardless of how bad the individual is. Regardless of how stupid the individual is. This means that you guys are going to be stuck with Cortez for a long, long time because she's the incumbent. Okay? 
<laughs> you got, and that Northern District have got to be known as the Socialist District of the United States from this point forward, just like the Bernie Sanders group. You know, you guys are stuck with them till death because you can't erase, you know, individuals through term limits. And there should be term limits. There should be 12-year term limits. And the only purpose behind that goes all the way back to Thomas Jefferson when we talk about the dead hands of the past, dead hands of the past controlling the next generation. He was implying that each generation should be able to lead themselves. They should not be burdened with the leadership of the previous generation or the debt and mistakes of the previous generation. In fact, he went as far as saying there should be a new constitution every 20 years. That's how, that's how extreme he went. I don't agree with that at all, but, but, there's the conjunction. I like the idea of two term limits in the Senate for 12 years and 12 years in the House. It's equal. When you're done, you did a nice job, thank you very much, have a nice day, go away. And we force the changing of ideas through term limits where the parties will not let them be forced. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about the State of the Union address before we signed off here because Actually, uh, that was the second best State of the Union, well, actually, wait, 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 third best State of the Union address that I have seen. <laughs> the third best. Had nothing to do with the way the president presented, had everything to do with the way the audience reacted when what he said. It is very hard to be the party of opposition when unemployment is the lowest, I don't want to say as lowest it's been in history, but gee many crickets, this is the best economy I've seen in my lifetime. You, you kids getting ready to graduate from college are going to come out into a market to where you might even be able to buy a house in the first two years of your job because the market is so good where I had to wait 10 years. Uh, you know, you, you're going to come out into the market of money and things that are going on that I never had that opportunity. Okay, this, this economy is out of control mad going well. Jobs are being created everywhere that are good paying jobs. It's amazing. So how can you be the party of opposition when you've for 30 years said, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, and you're the politicians that are in office making all these promises, and the new guy comes in and turns it all around inside of two years. It makes your 30 years worth of lies and efforts useless. You're ineffective. This is the reason why we should have term limits. We should have more new guys so this kind of thing happens often and we have a healthier country. Just just throwing that out there. Think about how embarrassing that is. For all those people who have been in office for you know years and years and years and we can't get rid of them, they made all their promises on what they're gonna do, that everything they're gonna put together. This guy turns the place around in two years. How can you be the party of opposition and put any kind of opposition up about the economy? Well, you can't. Unemployment? No, nope, you can't. GDP? No, nope, you can't. So I thought it was hilarious. So if you're the, the Democrats, the party of opposition right now, and you come to the State of the Union address, what can you show solidarity in? What can you really demonstrate? What can you say that your party can offer everybody? They show up wearing, women show up wearing white dresses for suffrage or whatever the case may be. That has nothing to do with anything. It represents nothing in our current economy. It represents nothing of the current status of the United States. It only reaches back in history and shows that, oh, wait a second, it was the Democrats that voted against it 
and here they are standing with it. <laughs> they had nothing to present. They had nothing to present. They can't stand on anything. What are they going to say they can make better for us? And here's the sad thing for them, you know, and, and typically, let's background this a little bit. Democrats are the party of bigger government, okay? It's the way it is. They had an entire government shutdown for a month, and the most amazing thing happened. Oh, before I tell you that, uh, the government of Spain has been shut down for a year now. And the entire government of Spain has been shut down for a year. And what's happened in that year is unemployment has dropped, interest rates are dropped, and the country is in recovery. <laughs> They're in recovery. So that's kind of a hint of what's coming next because our government was shut down and, and our numbers went up. <laughs> Just by default, having the government shut down that long, our numbers came up. There's a clue. They can't even fight and say that, you know, big government and the, the Schumer shutdown, and I love this, whatever you want to call it, I don't care what political angle you want to take it, but the Schumer shutdown, the guy who wants big government can't make the deal to keep the government open. And despite that, the economy grows, the people do better, jobs get better, the economy gets better, and he's trying to make an argument that bigger government helps. <laughs> <laughs> they are, uh, you have to look at what is being presented and how they're presenting it to see if they even have a case to make. And so roundtable next week, we're actually going to have some fun with this. We're, we aren't doing it now, but roundtable next week is what do you think the Democratic platform is going to be? Now, I don't want to hear Democratic rhetoric. Who cares about that? That's obviously not working. Okay, that didn't work before. <laughs> I want to hear what the Democratic platform is going to be for the presidential candidates. What are they going to say they're going to do for us that's better than what President Trump is doing right now? Now, the backhanded thing of this is I don't see any serious Democrats that are going to run for president. And the reason I say that is if any serious Democrats that are out there that see this and they really have nothing to offer, they're going to wait uh, until Trump is done. Then they'll run for president in hopes of saying, well, Trump's gone. He's no longer doing that. We want to do this or we want to change this direction or we want to do this. They'll have something to offer then. Right now, we're in such a good recovery mode. It, there's not a fool out there that thinks that this is a bad recovery mode. There's a couple of polls. In the last poll I looked at, the president, for the first time, and I don't know, in my, in my lifetime, has over an 80% approval rating. And it's reported by the liberal media. <laughs> the party of opposition had better find themselves. Maybe we can get rid of this two-party system and actually go to something that works for America, but that would be great. All right, we come back from the break. We have, oops, I arted. No, it's not a typo. I received emails on that. It's not a typo. That's the actual name of the segment. You guys will love it. And our roundtable. And again, I'm going to throw this out there. Roundtable, people. If you want to be a part of the show, it's Hayden at HaydenCollins.org. Let's get out there and make it happen.
Supper is the most famous Last Supper, but the Last Supper scene was very popular in dining halls and churches. David and Goliath was a popular figure in yes. art because of the heroicism that the small underdog David was, even though Michelangelo really portrays him as a Greek god. <laughs> yeah, it's said he's actually based off of Roman sculpture, which is basically based off of Greek <laughs> sculpture, if we're being honest. Do you want to hear a funny story about one of David's replicas? Of course! All right, 1857, the Grand Duke of Tuscany. He surprised England's Queen Victoria with a replica of Michelangelo's David. It is rumored that she was embarrassed by the nudity that they made a plaster fig leaf that was detachable. Like they did in the time. There yes. was lots of censoring and like that. And it was created to preserve the modesty of David around the women that might visit him. And I just thought that was so... Prim Royals. I just love how you can observe in art history when people were like, oh, nudity is bad. Oh, wait, nudity is all right. You know? <laughs> like the Greeks were like, yes. And then the Romans were like, well, we're Christian. And then you're not they supposed had to. The Renaissance. Yes. And everyone was like, nudity well, art <laughs> is good sometimes. We should do an episode about that. Yeah, I'd love to. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about is that there's been some studies shown that people are slowly deteriorating David. Well, I hate to be the person that keeps saying that that's normal, but it's kind <laughs> of normal for things like that to happen, especially to marble, because it's... Yeah, that's why you can't touch any of the statues, because we have oils all over our hands. Yeah. And if you've ever looked at a handrail, you can see where we've worn the paint and sometimes even the wood smooth. But the reason I said that is because apparently all of the foot traffic because David is pretty well known. If I find myself in Italy, that's the first thing I'm going to do. What do you mean? Well, yeah, the Galleria del Academia has more than just David, but studies have shown that the vibrations from foot traffic are near constant earthquakes. So it's tearing the marble apart, and there's and it's tearing through new restoration. I gotta go see David. Let's plan a trip. <laughs> Maybe after college. That's all I got. I am very happy that I didn't do a ton of research on this, <laughs> because this was a ride. I love David. I'm kind of obsessed with him ever since I started taking drawing one. And he's kind of had a resurgence in pop culture. Absolutely. As far as fashion and style go. Classic Renaissance style art has really moved into the fashion world recently. Yeah, more popular to really be into those kind of paintings and the angelic style that da Vinci and Michelangelo portray. I agree. So next week, are we doing a Valentine's Day episode? Yes, we are. It's going to be coming out the day after Valentine's Day. Is Yes. And we're going to be talking about how Valentine's Day is a hallmark holiday designed to sell you roses and chocolates to show that you love your significant other. Because that's what love is. <laughs> it's, I'm not saying that it's the only thing, but <laughs> chocolate flowers. I've never been mad when I <laughs> chocolates and flowers, right? You do bring up a very good point. All right. If you would like to contact us, we have finally gotten around to creating an email and you can send in suggestions or how to pronounce Michelangelo's name or call us out because we didn't get a fact correct so our email address is oops I arted pod that's o-o-p-s I arted pod at gmail.com so you guys have a good week and we'll see you back next week see ya welcome back to the Hayden College radio program the round table with the intelligence syndicate Oh, deep breath, world, we may have been lied to. 
I find it hard to believe, but ladies and gentlemen, we were told that the presidential approval rating was below 40, and it was the end of the world as we know it, and, and Putin didn't rig the election during the Obama years, but he did during the, then during the Trump years, and, and all the things we, we may have been lied to. We don't know yet, but we'll figure it out. Mueller will get to the bottom of this. In the meantime, let's have the introductions for the roundtable. Lead us off, please, Anthony. Hello, my name is Anthony Gutierrez, and I am a junior at Kennesaw State University. Rogan. Hi, I am Rogan Fallis, and I am a freshman at the University of Georgia. Kermit. Hello, my name is Kermit Rizzi, and I'm a freshman at the University of Georgia. Oh, dear God, we almost had a high school student at the round table tonight, guys. She would have kicked all your butts. That would have been fine. Anyhow, <laughs> welcome to the Intelligence Syndicate. Uh, State of the Union just wrapped up, and we had some interesting observations come to us in email. So I thought we'd do a little free form tonight on the roundtable just to throw curveballs at you guys. Uh, pop quiz question, gentlemen. Did you approve of the presidential speech? Why or why not, Anthony? After watching the State of the Union, I'm indifferent, but I'm leaning towards disapprove because with me, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, but if you give me substance, I'll give you the problem. Now, I'd say like the first quarter of it was pretty good. He was giving us numbers, he was giving us the facts. Then he started slipping a little bit, going more opinionated and saying, oh, we need more partisanship or bipartisanship. But he said some partisan stuff. And then the last quarter of it was just pure, you know, plucked and political uh, sound bites. So overall, I'd give this one a, like a five out of ten, maybe a six. Maybe a six. All right. I can buy that. Rogan, talk to me. Uh, I, I'm pretty similar to Anthony. I, I, I don't really have too many strong feelings about the State of the Union, uh, but it was a bit. Uh, it, it seems redundant to have that whole opening on bipartisanship and focusing on, uh, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was, he was saying along the lines of, we don't win as a party, we win as America, right? Oh, nice. And, yeah. uh, you did remember it. Well done. Good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, I mean, I largely stand by that sentiment. I think that we shouldn't be wasting time, you know, going in circles, but it seemed that when he came back, uh, especially towards the end, it got a bit pointed, and I thought it was a bit counteractive to what he did, because regardless of whose fault it is, uh, if you attack someone, they're not going to want to work with you to make some compromise, especially uh, when you saw AOC in the crowd. AOC? Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. <laughs> okay, Kermit, lead the way here, buddy. Well, honestly, I really loved how Trump really handled the speech and so did a lot of the statistics that were post the State of the Union. Um, I've been in pretty much full support of Trump thus far in his administration. Um, I thought it was very interesting that the Democrats decided to wear white and sort of have a protest. I thought it was kind of childish how they sort of played on sort of their political opinions and whatnot in sort of a protest of Trump's uh, speech. But I think overall, I think he handled it very well. I think he got his points across, and hopefully when it comes time for when they have to do more debate, considering uh, the temporary government, you know, relapse after the shutdown, um, I think there's a lot of headway after um, all those things that have occurred thus far. Mm, okay. 
Well, believe it or not, a majority of Americans side with you, Kermit. The overall view, even CBS came out with some numbers that were positive. But the high numbers range in the 87 percentile. The low numbers range in the 70 percentile. So overall, as a nation, uh, they took the sales pitch. And, and understand, you guys, this is probably your first, or I know it's not for Anthony, but it's probably your first or second State of the Union address you've actually paid attention to. Uh, believe me, in the past eight to ten years, we've seen some real goofy ones you can go back and watch on YouTube, and I don't think you'll um, be as impressed there either. Okay, so, uh, Anthony, back to you on this. J just for kind of open-ended questions here, the protest that he was speaking about, did you get it? So they were addressing a subject that wasn't even asked. I wonder if they're trying to be a gentleman. Um, Rogan, I have to bring something to your attention in the comment that I made a note of. If you're remembering quotes from this State of the Union address, you probably rated it higher in your own mind's eye that you're willing to do. But what did you think about the whiteness? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I get where they're coming from with it, and I just think it was a nice bit to celebrate, but uh, I, I thought it was a bit... Uh, when Trump was specifically referencing how it had been a century since when they got the right to vote, and uh, it kind of just burst out into a thing of cheer, while well, I thought that was nice, it just seemed a bit, um, I, I, I don't know, it seemed like very intentional, it seemed like very much a bit antagonistic to Trump, uh, that may be a bit out there to say, but I mean, the majority of women who were dressed that way, uh, as the majority of women who were elected to the um, Congress, were typically anti-Trump. And, uh, I mean, there was just so much commotion going on trying to disrupt the speech. You know something? Here's, here's an interesting thought, then. Why do any kind of effort like that during the State of the Union address if you don't have an audience? Just a thought. If they didn't have an audience, they wouldn't do anything. They had an audience. They did something. You know, they, they can't gripe about the economy. They can't gripe about unemployment. They can't gripe about the GDP. They couldn't go anywhere there. So I guess you got to choose something that's benign, and that was as benign as they can choose. Uh, Kermit, what do you think? Well, Hayden, honestly, I think that the sort of, from what I understood, the Democrats, the women Democrats decided to dress up in white. I thought it was sort of, it kind of hallmarked back to the whole women's protest movement and all that. I didn't, like, I understood what they're coming from. Like, I understand, like, the, the causes that they're fighting for, but I also understand that they have a job to represent the people which they're serving. And for them to make that sort of statement, it sort of kind of polarizes their own district and makes them go on one side, even though, you know, not all parts of the whole kind of agree with, like, what they're saying. Um, I feel like also, you know, the whole partisanship of the Democrats and how it's all been flowing since Trump has been inaugurated, I think it's just... It's kind of been a very textbook move by the Democrats. Yeah, I agree. I can also understand it. But also, like, Trump was able to capitalize on that, and he did get them to clap during the speech, and it just it just kind of showed. Like, it, it just it showed that Trump was able to talk to them. 
Yeah. So. I, I agree. I don't. I don't know if we could take that route. Um, okay. So let's go. The, let's go this route. The original information in the Constitution of the United States clearly states that the president has to provide a state of the union. But it says every now and then. It doesn't say it has to be a presentation in the House. It doesn't say it has to be a presentation in the Senate. In fact, several presidents just wrote letters and said, here's your State of the Union, and shot it off to Congress. What would have happened, gentlemen, if Donald Trump just would have wrote a letter? There's an interesting thought. Anthony, what do you think they would have done? I mean, there's several things that could have happened, but I think the first thing would just be confusion. Everyone would be asking the question, why did he just do a letter? Why didn't he do what they expect to go like he always does? But at the end of the day, as long as the information is out there, people are still going to react to it. But having him in front of the camera and speaking, it's a lot easier for people to believe he did a better job than he did if it was just written on a letter. People are willing, are more have more reaction when it's video. Hmm. That's a good thought. That's a real good thought. Rogan, what do you think? Well, uh, again, it it just seemed a bit out of the norm since there had been so many televised sets before that. Uh, But uh, sort of going off what Anthony said there, uh, everything is in his energy of presence and who he is as a person. You know, I mean, when you see anybody who criticizes him, they criticize sometimes, you know, how much he gestures. But, I mean, he has a presence, and that is what allows them to command his audience. And, you know, he wouldn't have been able to uh, do what he did through that letter. And even then, I feel like, uh, I don't know, I kind of get the feeling that if he had submitted a letter, it would have been one of those things where just the slightest bit of wording would have led to a bunch of nitpicking that takes it in a million different directions. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Kermit, you're going to back him up on that one? Nitpicking, really? <laughs> I mean, I guess... From what I've seen on his social media presence, Donald Trump has not been scared to release letters from Nancy Pelosi in regard to his trip, to her trip uh, to Afghanistan and whatnot during the government shutdown. If he posted that letter, if he sent that letter, it would have gone the same way as it has done. I'm sure the Democrats would have fallen up with the letter. It wouldn't have gotten the same TV presence. I think it would have just been some more social media drama and whatnot, some more cable news network coverage. Very good, guys. Uh, I got a prediction for you. I think the State of the Union will be addressed and put out by Twitter next time to the entire nation and not just Congress. Um, so, and then that way it'll be a video to Twitter and, you know, and who cares at that point because it's presence. Great job with the roundtable today, guys. All right, we are going to close out here, and I'll close out with this. Need more interns. If you're interested in being an intern on the show, here's what I recommend you do. Email Hayden at HaydenCollins.org. Get something on your resume besides the fact that you went to school. And the good news is is I got word today, one of our recent graduates who spent three years on the show just got a job as the public relations director for the Dallas City Police Department. Wow. There's something because it was a heck of a good reference letter. Not only that, she had three years of radio experience in dealing with the public before she even took that job. Something to think about. Uh, In the meantime, stay on top of this. Don't let politics get behind you. Keep an eye on what these guys are doing. And try to do the best you can to break down the messages that the press is actually giving you. Because it looks like you're doing a pretty good job so far (laughs) breaking it down. So uh, continue on and be about it.
Thank you for listening to the Hayden Collins Radio Program and the Intelligence Syndicate. And for those of you that followed the show throughout the years, know that I close the ending of the show with Be About It. <laughs>